Um, if you have a Bible, I might like to have it open to Matthew chapter 6. I am going to read lots of different texts today. You're going to have to keep up. If you want to follow them, you're going to have to work hard to keep up. But um, it is in the script that's outside, and that will be on the website if you want to follow it later. Um, I'm going to invite you at the beginning of this to stand as I read the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, the one who will never come and tell you to come back tomorrow because he is too busy right now. The one who longs for you to come to him. Our Father in heaven, or perhaps better translated, in the heavens. It's plural in the Greek. The one who we often imagine to be far away. And when we say in heaven, that's what we often think. And there is a sense in which God is transcendent. But it also literally means the one who is as close as the air we breathe. So we never actually need to say, let's come into God's presence, because God would say to that, well, where do you think I've been? Our Father, the one who is present here and now, as close as the air we breathe, hallowed be your name. May your name be honoured here this morning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And all God's people said, Amen. Please sit down. Your kingdom comes. So I'm wondering what you think about when you think about the kingdom of God, or what I'm going to talk about this morning is the kingdom of the heavens. So I want you to take a moment, talk to the people next to you, and tell them what you think about when you think about the kingdom of the heavens. Ready? Go. Okay, just for the sake of time and because you're probably struggling, <laughs> I'm going to end it there. See, um, my best guess is you actually find that quite difficult to explain, don't you? When you try to explain the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of God or whatever words you want to use, you find it really difficult to explain. But today we are going to think about your kingdom come. Here's a thought-provoking question. Can you really begin to imagine what earth might look like if the kingdom of the heavens came to earth. Just think about that for a minute. What would it look like if the kingdom of the heavens actually came here on earth? That is a truly stunning thought, isn't it? What would life be like if the kingdom of the heavens was here now? 
The biblical writers write about the kingdom of the heavens. Jesus speaks more about the kingdom of the heavens than anything else. So when I ask you that question and you think the answer is money, it's not true. Jesus speaks more about the kingdom of heavens than anything else. He does speak second most about money, so it is important. And yet it seems to me, even though Jesus speaks more about that than anything else, we can barely imagine it. And yet, and yet Jesus tells us that we should pray for exactly this. Here's how you pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So how are you doing, friends? The biblical writers use imagery because in truth it is hard to explain what is ultimately spiritual. In Revelation, John sees a vision that is economic, essentially, in its form. So John chapter 7, reading verse 16. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. The kingdom of the heavens has no hunger or thirst. We might rewrite that and say, in the kingdom of the heavens, there is no more poverty. Now, wouldn't that be good? Amos talks of the curse of the land being lifted and the land producing an overflow of produce. Wouldn't that be good in Malawi or Mozambique right now? Isaiah talks of peace between nations, Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for the many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. In this vision, there are no enemies. Don't need any weapons. Isaiah chapter 11, um, you might recognize these verses. Read them from verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be lifted, sorry, will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful description of peace in the kingdom of the heavens. Revelation 21 talks of the gates of the city that will never be shut. That is symbolic of a city where there is no fear because it is the place where God dwells. The only reason you need to shut the gates of your city is to keep your enemies out. So if you leave the gates open, there is no fear. Can you imagine a moment, a city where there is no fear? Wouldn't it be great to walk in Crawley with no fear? It is never dark so you can walk in safety. There is no knife crime or gang culture. There is no threat of violence, of stealing or discontent. Can you imagine a city where there is no tension between communities or minorities, between individuals, where no neighbor has any complaint against his neighbor? 
Revelation 21, verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Can you imagine a city where life is free uh, from family tension or abuse or violence or threat? Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 17. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And you know this verse very well, but can you begin to imagine it on the earth? Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Ezekiel says that the hearts of stone will be replaced with hearts of flesh. There will be no more envy and pride and hate and jealousy. Can you even begin to imagine that? Isaiah tells us that the mountains will burst into song and the trees will clap their hands. This is all another way of saying that the earth will reach its full redemptive potential. How about that? In the kingdom of the heavens, the earth will reach its full redemptive potential. Can you imagine that? From the look on your faces, no, you can't. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's all very well and good, Ian, and I know, because I've read all this stuff before and heard lots of good sermons on it, but you are talking about the future. Well, I say yes and no. It is absolutely and wonderfully true that one day, one fine day, one bright hour, the kingdom of the heavens will be fully realized. That is in the future. But it is also wonderfully true that in part the kingdom of the heavens is here now. That's what Jesus himself said and that's what his whole life was all about. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. And John was put in prison, sorry, after John was put in prison, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's another way of saying the good news is that it's here and now. Now, by now you should be getting excited. Now, in case you've missed it, there's a new royal baby, Archie, which I think might have upset a few people, but it doesn't bother me. Um, Interestingly, he has no royal title, because at the moment he is seventh in line to the throne. That will change, of course. But at the moment, he is seventh in line for the throne. Our view of the royals is changing. The royals' view of themselves is changing, isn't it? Hence, Archie. (laughs) Where we once had one view and one understanding of what a kingdom was, we now have a different one. 
Jesus spoke most about the kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens. But when Jesus, what Jesus meant by kingdom was very different from and a huge challenge to the way the people of his day would have understood kingdom. God had chosen a ragtag group of people, the smallest, not the biggest as a nation. Do you know, the trend in the Bible is always God goes for the smallest, where two or three gather. That's what Chris was talking about, in case you wondered what he meant, when he said the second person who came, the Spirit of God was here. Where two or three are gathered, I am there. I'm right, I Chris, that's what you meant, yes. I saw a few bewildered looks at that moment. I thought, well, I know what he's saying. Where two, he never says where 500 or 600 or 10,000 or 20,000, where two or three Jesus, uh, God chose the smallest group of people to be his nation. He performed a miraculous escape from Egypt. He led them and eventually led them to the promised land through what can only be described as an extraordinary success. They took that land. At the blast of trumpets, city walls fell. They put their singers out first. That's what we sang about earlier on when armies were defeated. But Israel wanted and demanded a king like everybody else had. We want a king, we want a king. In my opinion, the saddest chapter in the Bible is Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because the people keep going on, we want a king, and God tells them exactly what's going to happen if they have a king. And they say, no, we want a king, and God gives in. And gives them a king. God says, it's not supposed to be like that. I am your king. We want a king. All right, you can have a king. And things did not go well. There were some good times, David, Solomon, but Solomon did not end well, and the kingdom was divided at the end of Solomon's reign. Both Israel and Judah were defeated by Assyria and Babylon, respectively, and the kingdom of Israel faded to a memory. So when Jesus proclaimed a kingdom, some expected him to lead a national victory against the occupying force of Rome and restore an earthly kingdom. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom of the heavens is a different kind of kingdom. This kingdom is not a kingdom based on geography or political status and alliance. This is a kingdom about the presence of the living God. This is not about being born into the right family by physical birth. Pharisees got into that one, didn't they? And actually when they say that to Jesus, Jesus calls them sons of the devil. That's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? He says, no, you're not. You're not in the kingdom of the heavens because you're born into the right family and you've been circumcised. You're, you're in the kingdom of the heavens by faith. This is a kingdom of living faith and a kingdom that is found wherever there is a response to faith. This is a kingdom where borders are not political or geographical, but they are set by obedience and discipleship, those who will follow and serve the king, God himself. This is a kingdom that is found wherever there is full surrender to the presence of God. This is a kingdom of the future, but it is also a kingdom that has a present reality. In other words, it is here and now. And Jesus' whole life and ministry expressed the message that one day the kingdom of the heavens will fully come, but that it is here and it is now. Jesus' life led to his death on the cross, the ultimate declaration of the coming of the kingdom of God to save people from the snare of evil, Satan defeated. And his life demonstrated the presence of God here 
on earth. He lived perfectly as the kingdom of the heavens on earth. You want to know what life will be like in the kingdom of the heavens? Look at Jesus. Read the gospel story. He welcomed the little children. He said, don't stop them, don't to me, for the kingdom of the heavens belongs to such of these. The kingdom of the heavens welcomes, values, and loves the children. In a day and a time strongly patriarchal, Jesus welcomed and spent time with the women. In fact, it's interesting to note that it was the women who were first to know about the impending birth of Jesus, and it was the women who were first to be met by his resurrected body. Jesus touches the leper. He could have just healed him. He could have just said, be healed, but he didn't. He chose to touch him when nobody else would. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus feeds the hungry. Jesus has compassion for the widow. Jesus goes to the outcast. Jesus performs miracles. And when he does so, he is showing the kingdom of the heavens is now a present reality. It's as if he's saying this. This is how it will be in the kingdom of the heavens. It's here and it's now in part. And one day, it will fully come. And if you like posh words, it's called realized eschatology. Just to prove I know stuff. (laughs) It just means that stuff which is coming is here now. Philip Yancey in his book says, miracles are just signposts to what it will be like in the kingdom but it's here and it's now. Because when it happens, it's here and it's now, isn't it? I think so, if you think about it. The story of the gospel is this, that it is possible now to live in the presence and the power of God. And Jesus invites a response. Come to me. Nobody else in human history said that. Only Jesus, come to me. In Jesus' life, he cast a vision of what it is like to live in the presence and the power of the kingdom of the heavens. And he extends the invitation to come and join him. It is the greatest offer ever extended to any person anywhere, anytime in human history. Come to me. Join me in the kingdom of of the heavens. And that offer is extended to you, friends. Some people followed Jesus and took up his offer. They left what they knew, they left their families, they left their work, they left everything that they had built up around them. Some people died, but they followed him with joy. To reject Jesus is to be excluded from the kingdom of the heavens. That's a very powerful statement. To reject Jesus is to be excluded from the kingdom of the heavens. One day, one fine day, one bright hour, there will be only one kingdom. When Jesus lived, there were other kingdoms. There was the Roman kingdom, the kingdom of Caesar and many others. There are many other kingdoms today. What's happening in politics is all about little empires, isn't it? 
But one day, one fine day, one bright hour, there will be only one kingdom and the kingdom of the heavens will come in all its fullness. Throughout history, kingdoms have been built through politics, through power, through bloodshed, through economics, through philosophy. How will the kingdom of the heavens come? And if you've drifted off, you need to come back right now because this is where it gets really serious. How will the kingdom of the heavens come? Well, Jesus says it begins in the place of prayer by praying, your kingdom come. That's how the kingdom comes. The kingdom of the heavens is found anywhere the name of God is honored and God's will is done. The kingdom of the heavens, another way of saying it, is where it comes when people live unashamedly for the gospel. So it is true to say that wherever you go as a follower, a dedicated follower of Christ, the kingdom of the heavens goes. But it starts with prayer by asking, your kingdom come. Here's a thought. Could it be true that when a follower of Christ prays your kingdom come, it has more effect in eternity than any amount of political or economic maneuvering? So, how about you, friends? Will you take up Jesus' invitation to join him in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens here and now? And will you therefore pray, your kingdom come? The invitation really is to become kingdom prayers. And here's how we might do that. To become a kingdom prayer, you can pray your kingdom come in my life, in your own life. Now, on the face of it, that might sound easy, but not so fast, brothers and sisters. The hardest prayer that Jesus ever prayed was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And that prayer took him to the cross. If you ask God that his kingdom be manifest in your life, you ask that whatever happens, his will be done. Whatever happens. Now that's quite a challenge, isn't it? Because it seems to me that most of the time, certainly my prayer life, I would be praying to get out of whatever it is that God wants me to be doing. You know, and secretly, I pray your kingdom come in my life and then I hope that I miss it. Or I hope that it really doesn't involve poverty or suffering or illness. To pray your kingdom come is to ask that God's kingdom be manifest in your life, whatever happens. Actually, I prayed that at the beginning of my ministry. <laughs> And to my shame, I, I, there have been times when I've wished I hadn't. Because I've prayed, God, I'll only ever do what you call me to do. And then there's times when I, there's other things I've quite liked the idea of. And I was chatting to another minister, actually, who, who got a job out of church. 
He got so despondent with church, he, took a job, he was going to take a job doing something else. And then he felt God say to him, if you do that, you're just running away. So he got a job in a different church, but he's still in church. Whatever happens. But when you pray that, you are asking to become a bearer of the kingdom of the heavens here and now. So the question may become, what would it really mean if the kingdom of the heavens comes in your life? Where you work, relationally, in your family, in your career, in your friendships, financially. To become a kingdom prayer, you can pray your kingdom come to in your relational world. Invite God in to your relational world and ask that his kingdom and his will be done. Pray for your neighbours, your work colleagues, your family. There was a lady in the church that I grew up in called Yolan Darling, and next week I won't be here because I've been invited to go to Wimborne to speak in a church in Wimborne. Interestingly, when I grew up in Wimborne, I never went to this church. I never even went in it. But next week I'll be in Wimborne where I grew up, where this story is true. She was old when I knew her, Yolan Darling, and uh, she was married to Major Max Darling, who was also very old and very, very tall, as I remember. Max used to lead services, and he would preach, and I used to think he was really, really scary because he was a major in the army. Yoland used to pray, and Yoland prayed for me. And every time she saw me in church, she would come and tell me that she was praying for me, that I would reach my full redemptive potential. Now, she never said those words, but that's what she meant. And every time she spoke to me, she would say those words with tears in her eyes. Yolan Darling died many years ago, but here I am doing this job, preaching this sermon, following Christ as best I can, and I am convinced that that is in no small part to Yolan Darling praying, your kingdom come for Ian Phillips. To become a kingdom prayer, you can pray your kingdom come for Crawley. You know that town we talked about where there's no enemies, no, nothing? Wouldn't that be good? You can pray it for the nations God loves so much. That's one of the reasons we have these flags, to remind us that we're just part of God's world. You can join in and sign up for 2410, because 2410 is all about your kingdom come, although the Anglicans use the word thy, thy kingdom come. There's, it's national. How many countries? 160-something? 66 denominations, that tells a story. And 144 countries will be praying, your kingdom come. You can join in. It's not an excuse, forgive me, if you can't do the internet stuff. You can find a way around that if you really want to. Come and talk to me and I will sign you in. Go and talk to anybody else who can do it and they will sign you in. But you haven't got an excuse because you can't do computers. This is about praying for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens to come here and now to this town. 2410 starts on Thursday. Why would you not want to sign up? Twenty-four-seven follows that. You can sign up for that. Your kingdom come 
for Crawley Baptist Church and all we think we're trying to do and all the people that we meet and everyone who comes into this building and everything that's going on in the, in the rooms upstairs now and everything that happens at Pod and at Kids Matter and at Alpha on a, on a Rainbow Lounge Day. Why would you not want to join in? Why would you not want to pray, your kingdom come? You can come to the joint service, which we hold monthly, because every month we gather together as Christians across the town to pray for this town of Crawley. Why would you not want to come? And let me just say this, right? Because I know I'm on the edge now, and a lot of you are getting narked with me. But I'm telling you the truth. Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, and you have lots of opportunities to do it. And Jesus is probably sitting there thinking, why are you not doing it? Why do you not want to gather together? And I hear people say this a lot, and I had it. someone say it to me this week. Well, one of the things when we gather together in groups to pray is I don't know how to pray out loud. Sorry, not an excuse. Remember who you're coming to pray before. You're not coming to pray before the people sitting next to you. The reason I read slowly the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is to remind you that you come to our Father. You have an audience of one. This is not about getting the words right. It's not about praying out loud. So you can come to the joint service or 24-10 or 24-7 and say nothing. God doesn't mind that. I'm sorry, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, it's not an excuse. In the kingdom of the heavens, you're missing out. And anyway, you'll probably find that most of the people sitting around you aren't actually listening to you because they're panicking about the fact they might have to say something. <laughs> and in my experience, right, being really honest with you, the more you do it, the better you get. I have never had somebody come up to me after I've prayed something and said, Ian, I'd just like to challenge your theology when you prayed a moment ago. No one has ever said that. And God is big enough to go, oh, look, I know you got the words wrong, but I know what you meant. And point is, I see your heart. And what I'm most interested in is your heart. And if you come and you turn up, that's really good. You have opportunities to pray, your kingdom come. You have opportunities when you watch and listen to the news. Spurgeon said you should write a sermon with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. That's a bit outdated now, but his point was, watch what's going on and pray for it. You can become kingdom prayers because Jesus invites us to recognize the power and the presence of God and the kingdom of the heavens and it's here and now. Now here's the challenging thought on what I should have said because it's much better than what I said. What if we forget to be kingdom prayers? What if we don't do it? I don't understand this theologically, but my, my conviction is that there are lots of things God can't do if we don't pray. And the evidence of that is because God does some stuff when we do pray, right? Now, I don't understand why that is. I think it might be something around mostly God's heart as he wants to, us to participate in what he's doing. Maybe one day I'll get the chance to ask him that, but that seems to be the truth. So if we don't pray, what are we saying? If we don't pray thy kingdom come, what are we doing to this world? Now, I, I have to say, this is a massive challenge to me when I wrote this sermon, so I've gone through everything you're going through now, just before I preached it, right? Just for the record. 
Jesus brought the kingdom of the heavens to earth and he invites us to become kingdom prayers. The kingdom of the heavens here and now. And he invites us to look forward to the day, that fine day, that bright day, when the kingdom of the heavens will be the only kingdom. And where we will live our full redemptive potential. And we will see God face to face. Now, that, it seems to me, is worth praying for. Amen.